the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is EdTech, episode 36, recorded Tuesday, May 26th, 2015. Consult me. This is EdTech, the monthly look at the education segment of the AV industry. My name is Tom Albright. I am your host. With us, as always, Mr. Greg Brown from UCLA. Hello, sir. Hello, Tim. Hello, world. Hello, world. How are you, sir? <laughs> Doing just fine. Very good. Live and well. Although it's not sunny here today, I'm sorry. It is here. So, you know, I not here. I, I stole your sunshine. That that voice there is Mr. Ernie Bailey. Oh, uh, he's we'll from, steal your football team. Yeah, that's fine. You, you are going to. UAMS, how are you, sir? I'm doing just fine. Good. And what Greg is, is of course, talking about is the fact that the St. Louis Rams are going to go back to L.A. here, here in about five, ten minutes. So. Beat the hell out of us getting the Raiders. Well... It's six of so one. So can you blame us? No, no, I can't. No, I can't. Uh, and last but not least, Mr. Mike Tomei from Tomei AV Consulting. How are you, sir? Good, Tim. How are you doing? Doing well. Doing well. All right. So uh, this month is going to be, it, it, it's, we're getting ready for Infocom. All of us are doing that. And we're going to cover a couple stories here uh, about that very thing and a couple other uh, upcoming uh, events. Uh, but first, let, let's get to some interesting things, and this is this is something that I've at least been watched, watching for a while, and I've actually asked a couple of different um, control manufacturers about this very issue. Uh, it's a white paper from our buddies over at AMX, and it's it's basically called "Hackers in the Classroom: uh, How to Secure Your AV Systems from Internal and External Threats." Uh, I don't know if you guys remember this. A few years ago, there was. Uh, a story out about the Stuxnet virus, um, and it was something. It was a physical virus. They uh, supposedly the CIA or somebody in the government put on a flash drive, got into um, some Iranian uh, nuclear facilities, and you know it was a big rigmarole. And at that time, I, I had on uh, somebody from one of the control companies, and I said, is this an issue, right? Is this not stuckness specifically, but is this an issue for, for control systems? Do we have to start worrying about this the more and more that we that we have uh, control systems on the network? And it's like, oh, no, you know, nobody wants to, who wants to hack a, who wants to hack a processor, right? Who wants to hack an AV system? What are you going to do, make the screens go up and down? Well, <clears throat> with that in mind, I, I <laughs> very, last words. exactly. I, I very interestingly, uh, with much interest, read this white paper. So, Greg, we're going to start with you, uh, since you are in the land of 10,000 IT departments, um, and I'm certain you have one well, or two. Only 34. 34 IT not, departments. Not, not 10,000. Um, I mean, what, what do we need to do to secure our systems, honestly, when it comes to classrooms? Uh, the, I think the big one and the easy one is, you know, be on your own VPN. You know, be on, be on a network that the world can't get into easily. Um, I, I think that's becoming pretty much, you know, by default. Although, you know, you, you talk to 10 different colleges, you'll see, you'll get 10 different answers as far as um, how to do this. You know, as of just a, a year or two, one of the one of the big local UCs didn't have uh, authentication on, you know, all their all their data lines were open for the most part. And. You know, you're you're just in you're just inviting trouble at that point if people can get in and snoop around and you know get to things even you know VPN largely protects you from that. I mean, we went through a, a phase here with um, it's it's a little bit off the subject, but the the uh, we went through a phase of the IT folks doing security scans on our equipment, which can give you all sorts of grief and problems. But um, in the process of that, one day they gave us a, a printout of all the things that had tried, that had pinged our network over like the last 12 hours or something like that. And it was amazing, all of these IP addresses that literally went back to, if you followed them, you know, went back to North Korea and China and stuff like that, you know, trying to <laughs> ping our subnets. And it's like, man. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, everybody should read that. It's a, I think it was a really good primer, and um, 
you know, covered reasonably, uh, things reasonably well. You know, maybe a little bit of, little, quite a bit of PR for AMX in there, but, uh, you know, uh, VPNs are the big one. Okay, well, let me ask you this. Does that not preclude you from being, for, from asset management software like RMS or like Fusion or Global Viewer? Uh, we do that all in-house. Now, we're, we, if you're doing it in-house, no, it doesn't because um, you can set up, like, for example, our subnet here in our, our main building can talk to the subnets out there in the classroom buildings. Now, if you if you were doing our, our, our uh, control and monitoring or our monitoring and, and, you know, like lamps for us or something like that, yeah, that can be a little bit of an issue. And I think there are some, some hoops you can jump through to make it work. But it is, uh, you basically are setting up subnets that... You know, in most cases, you can't get to from from out of campus. Some cases you do, depending on what sort of requirements you've got like that. And then there's also you could you could set up a dedicated you know secured you know connection somewhere. Right. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. All right, Ernie. From your standpoint, where do we uh, where do we go to to secure our systems, and, and what do we need to do? Well, you know, we require uh, authentication through our uh, campus network. Uh, to get to our systems, we create a, a network in each room, and I just have one connection from that room going back to the campus network. Uh, and that's how we do our remote management. And any other tools that we need to use to get in, we can take that pathway. But uh, we do require uh, authentication for users. Uh, and, you know, I, I feel secure about it knowing the type of security that the campus has. Uh, with all the HIPAA requirements for those being a health science campus. I have not had any in instances of anyone getting to my systems, uh, but my people off campus can get to them. Even without VPNing in, they're, able to, they're still able to uh, get uh, an authenticated login. And so they can quickly get to a, uh, a room if they're, uh, you know, called at night. It keeps me from having to have a technician on site all the time. Yeah. Uh, I have had one hack It was about three semesters ago, and this was an interesting one. It wasn't actually hacking into my control system or anything like that, but apparently we had a student, we never could identify them, that was able to match the frequency of the PowerPoint remote control that we had in the room. And they would advance slides on one instructor, advance, go back, <laughs> and you know we we couldn't find it happening, but we were we monitored the computer while they were doing it, and you know it was getting the receiver was getting a pulse from somewhere to tell it to advance. We took it away from the instructor; it would still happen if she had to go over and hit the keyboard. But, you know, it would still happen. It was not built into her slides or anything. But uh, like I said, if she wasn't lecturing, it did not happen in the room. Even if she gave her slides to someone else because she was sick, they could give the presentation no issue. So, wow. you know, we pretty much decided we had a student who was really messing with this instructor. Uh, but that's the most serious hack we've had in our systems in our classrooms. Uh, you know, physical safety was also mentioned in this article. And it, we used to see thefts on, you know, we would count back in the VCR and DVD player days where they were on carts, we counted on losing two of them between Thanksgiving and Christmas each year. <laughs> you know, we know they got wrapped up and put under a tree somewhere. Uh, but we just, we actually at one point worked it into our budget that we were going to buy two more uh, in January every year. Uh, and that worked pretty well. You know, I have had a couple of projectors stolen, but it's been probably seven or eight years since anybody tried that. We secure them when we mount the ceiling. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, tempt fate or give anyone the temptation to come steal my stuff. So I'm not going to say it's not stealable. Yeah. Uh, but we, we do have cameras monitoring uh, all hallways. Uh, we monitor, monitor the equipment in the classrooms through remote management tools. So we know when something's disconnected. Uh, and we'll get an email at night or whatever uh, if, some, if something goes offline, and we can check it quickly. Well, and that's that's the nice thing about you know remote management systems and you know a few right. and stuff like that. So, 
Uh, all right, Mr. Tomei, we've had two different uh, two different solutions to this. So consult us, uh, Mr. Consultant. Um, you've got <laughs> physical. Uh, you've got a physical separate VT- VPN, which is which is one way to do it. Ernie's got authentication, which is obviously another way to do it. If you were building this from scratch, what would you do? Well, it sounds stupid, but um, change your passwords and default logins on all the equipment. I've seen so many integrators walk away from uh, from installs, leaving all of the default uh, usernames and passwords there and uh, on every piece of equipment. And, well, that, that, that's a good thing because if they were to change them, probably most of your integrators were, would forget to give them to you when they leave. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, they wouldn't give you a list. So consider yourself um, lucky. All right. Exactly. Um, but I've seen that happen so many times. Media players, too. What were you? Go ahead. I want to put in a plug for one of my integrators on that. They, It's been a while since it doesn't work for me, but a system they did for me about five years ago, we ran into some issues where we didn't have passwords. I called them up. They gave me a link. They have a website set up for me. They do for every one of their clients. And they gave, They told me how to log into it. And I have a I have a password. I didn't realize I had that. It's got all the drawings and it has every password, every IP address that they set up when they did it, and a record of all the maintenance. Wow! And I was unaware they did that, but it gave me a good feeling of security, and it helped our engineer who was having to go back and try to look at some programming. All the programming code was there and available for us to look at. So, mm. yeah. Uh, I think another uh, problem in the classrooms is with installed uh, PCs or Macs, installed computers, uh, professors coming in, logging into their personal account for class, and then forgetting to log out when they leave. Um, I've seen that happen a lot, and their shared network storage is totally accessible to whoever walks in and uses that PC next. Um, so I've seen that happen, too. That, that's always a big hole in the security there. We, we've actually had people coming around in the mornings just looking for a computer that was that was still online because somebody had left their their login active. Uh huh. Yep. I've, I guess I've been lucky. I've never really dealt with any sort of hacking of control systems or AV equipment in classrooms. It's always been physical theft that I've had to deal with um, of equipment, but not really hacking issues. So, but I do love the uh, clip art they used for this article. The guy in the ski mask. Well, it's very using a scary laptop, clip so. art. I mean, that's yeah. let's be honest here. They've they've got the guy yeah. with it, it, the ski mask. They got the guy with the hoodie, looking a little bit like the Unabomber. Right. You know. Yeah. If you don't yeah. remember who the Unabomber is, kids, look him up on Wikipedia. So. It, it, it gave it kind of a K through twelve look, but I, I guess this is largely intended for IT people. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> Thanks, Greg. Yeah, that would be Greg Brown at UCLA.edu. Uh, so. Yeah, right. There you go. There you go. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a week or two since I got any hate mail. You know what that? <laughs> All right. Uh, let's actually bring in a, a, a somebody out uh, out uh, out Greg's way. Uh, I almost said from the California court system, but she's no longer from that. She started her own own deal. Her name's Jennifer Willard. Uh, started and head of uh, Women in AV. This comes to us uh, by way of AV Network, and it's interesting. Jennifer was one of the few non-tech managers, not non-education tech managers, uh, on the ed- on the uh, tech managers council when uh, when Greg was the the fair head of that fine organization, wasn't she? Uh, she she has been largely the the one active non-higher uh, ed person for a number of years on yeah. the council. So, and just like me, she's no longer on it because we're no longer tech managers. So there you go. Uh, three hazards of year-end procurement. I loved this because, well, I lived it for a long time, and Ernie and Greg still love it. Uh, there's three points that she points out, and we're going to start with, with Ernie and see if she's right and see if he wants to add anything to it. First of all, there's no time because, well, you've got, you know, when yeah. I worked at Lewis and Clark, you had, you know, you were, you got your budget in, you know, July 1, and you had to have stuff in by July 2. Uh, the, there's very few scopes of work, and uh, the integrators love to sell you the bleeding edge stuff because, well, that's where the higher margins are. Um, Ernie, what's uh, what's some of the things, either whether that she's right or wrong, or some things to add to it when well, it comes I, to? I think she's completely right. Um, 
when uh, this time of year, I mean, I'm getting calls from departments that have leftover money and they want to get an AV system uh, purchased and installed in their classroom by the end of June, mm-hmm. you know, the end of our fiscal year. And, you know, I'm basically saying here is about what it's going to cost. Here are three vendors. You're on your own. Uh, I said, just let it, you know, keep us in the loop so we know who's installing it so we can come back and make everything right to match the rest of the campus when we have time. Uh, But, you know, our summer is booked installing our classrooms. Uh, Now, I did get a a deal from uh, our division that they found some money and enough to do another classroom if I could get everything in delivered by the end of June. So we're working on that right now. Uh, you know, trying trying to make that happen, getting guarantees uh, from our suppliers. Uh, and, you know, I don't want to buy on the third one. I don't want to buy bleeding edge technology for our classrooms. I don't mind getting it in into our lab, uh, letting us play with it and see if that's what we want to want to use. But I'm not going to take something brand new and just throw it in a classroom uh, without testing it. So that's not going to that's not going to happen on my campus anyway. Well, and this is a good time to to remind folks if you've if you've not listened listened or, or watched, Ernie has some, one of what I think is one of the coolest things on a campus. Um, he mentioned his lab. They have a, a, a mock-up classroom. It's an actual live classroom. Teachers teach in it. And if I'm not mistaken, Ernie, correct me if I'm wrong, there are some instructors who actually ask for that classroom because you guys do do the bleeding edge technology in there. Exactly. You know, we will throw things in there. It's a, the room is not in a good location for a classroom. It's not close to any other classroom or anything. Uh, it used to be the worst classroom on, on campus. And we, it's not far from my office, so it's easy for us to provide support for if we need to. It's halfway between my office and our support desk, so they can quickly run run around there if they need to. But it's because of its lack of popularity over the years, it's easy for us to be able to block it off for three to five days and put something new in there or rewrite the control code for that room, you know, if we want to try to add some features or change the look of something. We can take the room down, we can rebuild it, and then put people in there. And most of the people in there know we're going to do that and know they're going to get quick support if they need it. But they're, you know, that's the first room we had HD video conferencing in. Uh, we were trying some new cameras. We put them in that room. Everyone liked them. We're putting them in everywhere now. First place we tried, you know, some of the uh, wireless uh, receivers such as Apple TV and Air Media and uh, Google Chrome, those type things. That's where we try those out, make sure they're going to work. Uh, we First place we put in uh, some of Crestron's light switches. Uh, you know, to see if we could really control them uh, and how our system interface with them. And, you know, we've had, you know, 98% of things have been successful in that room. Uh, and then we'll begin rolling it out after we know how, how it works and how we're going to make it work. Well, and like you said, you know, the, the 2% that doesn't work, they they get that going in, right? They get that yeah. they're, uh, they're an alpha and beta testers. So. All right. All right, uh, Mr. Tomei, take a look at that article there, and let's uh, not only from your experience, but also from, you know, consulting other clients. Where do you think, uh, you know, she she hit the nail, and maybe one or two other things that that are some some trouble areas for people to avoid as we end one fiscal and get into another one. Yep. So I think she uh, hit the nail on the head because uh, I'm actually living it right now with a client. I. Um, have one of these projects where they came to me and have to absolutely rush through everything because they need to spend this money and uh, the needs analysis phase is totally suffering they they need to blow through that as fast as they can so they could get a, a scope of work and equipment list out to an integrator and get things ordered and um, and then get them installed in time it's so I'm kind of slamming the brakes on everything saying look you know you're gonna uh, blow through this needs analysis phase you're not gonna get the system that you really need and um, just because you have to spend this money so quickly. So I'm totally living it as we speak. Um, and uh, I think she nailed that one. Uh, I totally agree with the scope of work. 
I feel like there are a lot of uh, scope of work documents that are written that aren't good at all and don't have all the details the integrators need. And um, if they're vague, those integrators will fall back on those vague scope of work documents when the whole thing comes crumbling down during install time and the uh, integrator has to say, well, you didn't tell us this, 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 and uh, this is your problem. So I feel like um, writing a good uh, standards document for your campus is a good way to not forget uh, what to put in your scope of work uh, documents. You don't have to, you can kind of tack on your standards document um, and you're not going to forget all the details that will eventually totally come back to bite you when it's install time. So I think she really um, nailed this one pretty well. Is there something you could do? I'm, I'm, this is just a weird question, kind of a little off topic. Is there something you can have ready uh, as a consultant that says, you know what, Ernie's, you know, let's say that you've got X amount of buildings, right, or X amount of rooms, um, or it's this type of classroom. Is there is a uh, is there a document you can put together that is the start of or the or the germination of uh, a needs analysis to help them in in times like this where they can, oh, quick, this is cool. This this will give us a running start. Or is it really just you start start from scratch every time? I well, personally, I, I have a needs analysis template that I use with clients. Um, you know, it's. I need to really do kind of face-to-face -face or, or phone conversations with them. It's not something they fill out, like a form, because okay. um, I really need to dig deeper than, um, than what they're going to give me initially if they just try to fill out some sort of a, a form or questionnaire that I have. Um, and I, I bring in, in that first meeting, I bring in a project timeline, too, that gets real granular and shows them every single aspect of an AV installation from the day we sign the contract with me all the way through um, system commissioning and closeout. So it really puts things in perspective for them um, when they can see how many uh, small little things have to go into a successful install. And uh, because most, most people don't realize all those little granular aspects of it that, that exist. And um, that's exactly what's happening right now to me. So um, I have a big uh, meeting tomorrow with the client. So. Mm -hmm. well, well, Tim, let me address this one yep. as well. Uh, I would not want a consultant to hand me a pre-built scope for a room that I can hand to an integrator just because I'm in a hurry. Uh, I want it custom designed for my needs and my space. Uh, I would not feel good if uh, Mike came to me as a consultant and said, here, just use this, and this, this will get most of what you need. I'm not going to think I got my money's worth out of dealing with the consultant, and I probably would not call that consultant again. I want I want one who cares about my needs and what's going on on my campus. Now, on that, yes, we have a scope of uh, work pre-built for a lot of our rooms because we know that we need all of these rooms done about the same way, know what features they're going to need, and if we're going to upgrade them, this is what's going to happen. But I'm not paying someone to just hand that over to you and hand me a boilerplate. Uh, it's something we've developed. And like I said, we do most of our work in-house, uh, so it's a scope of work for us. I did learn uh, that I did not use a consultant on a project that you worked with me on, Tim. Uh, and the first time we put it out to bid, I go back to Mike's comment about vague scope of work. They didn't use it. You know, the vendors didn't uh, come back and say, this is vague, it's not going to work this good. They decided to cover everything, and it came in way over. I mean, I got like six bids from different uh, AV integrators. They were all way outside my budget scope. Uh, we took it, we, we worked with a consultant, paid them to review our documents. They helped us rewrite them. This was before Mike was a consultant, by the way. <laughs> but uh, they helped us rewrite it. I got exactly the same thing that I thought I was getting from the first scope, and the bids came in at 50 to 60 percent of where they were on the vape uh, scopes. And I, I, we didn't take anything out of the scope. We didn't change any of the hardware. We didn't make any changes other than tighten up the scope, as our consultant put it, 
uh, we paid them to review the paper, the document, and they helped us rewrite it. And that was that was consultant's part of this project. Um, and I think it was money very well spent. And like I said, it we we were unable to do the project the first time we tried to do it because the bids came in so high. Uh, but we had plenty of money when they came in uh, the second time because we just we used the consultant properly and uh, did not have the vague the vagueness of the first scope. So you pay a consultant for a reason, and they're worth paying for. Well, let, let, me, let me put a kind of a little dollars and cents, and this is not a commercial for a consultant, and Mike wasn't the consultant. So um, let me, because I've seen the scope, and it, it is incredibly detailed. Um, basically, what Ernie's saying is he had X amount of dollars he paid the consultant a little bit over here, and I do mean a little bit in the, in the grand scheme of things, and the amount they saved on their final bill was much, much uh, more than what they paid that consultant. So it's worth it, people. <laughs> if, you, if you've got it, it's worth it. So, um, yes, Mr. Uh, Mr. Brown, uh, what do you say you about uh, about Jennifer's uh, uh, pain points for the end of the year purchasing? I think it was a good article, and I think she made some excellent points, and it's very accurate and. Uh, it was not something we had a problem with, and it was something. It wasn't something we had a problem with uh, because we did everything in house, and so we we planned everything in advance. You know, we were doing classrooms during the quarter just by avoiding or just by you know scheduling some open time in the rooms. You know, we were doing I think it was six rooms a quarter for a while, uh, building them up, and um, when it came to summer. We, we literally would fic sit down every year with our budget and we, we wouldn't just um, budget the year, but we had we had the, the, the chunk of money from, let's say, this year's budget that was going to go to the beginning of summer. And then we had the balance of the summer projects, which were going on to the next year's budget and what we did with that 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 chunk for early summer was basically to bet to buy um, a lot of the long lead time items buy things like big screens and anything that was going to take uh, a long time to get that had to be ordered early had to be you know ordered here in like April or May uh, to just to have it lined up in time or for stuff that we're doing you know particularly early in the summer um, and then everything else fell onto the next year's budget uh, so that was a but that was a very very guarded very reserved chunk of money and it it made the whole thing kind of moot for us to a large extent. Okay. No, that's, that's relevant. What we, if I can speak up again, uh, what we have done is we got some one-time money several years ago, and we use that to kind of cheat the system, if you will. We bought the next year's equipment with that fund, with those funds. We had enough to do you know, most of what we had budgeted, so we did that. So then, when it came, when our new money became available in July, we pushed that. We went. We started spending it in January for the next year. So our, you know, the money that we get each Ju July first now, we use for the next summer's projects. Basically, yeah. uh, we don't generally have enough of a Christmas break, winter break, to do major installs. So we push those off to the summer, but we start making purchases January, February, March, get things in, start building racks. And then when, you know, the day after graduation, we start tearing down classrooms uh, for the summer and, re and building, rebuilding them. The, the other thing we did, our, our, our method was not, was not foolproof. Uh, the other thing we would do is that, you know, if we had some money left over going into uh, the end of the fiscal, We'd buy projectors. We would knew what, know what we were doing as far as projector upgrades and, okay, hey, we got some money. Let's buy 20 new projectors and right. try and do that during the summer. That's always an easy way for, for us in higher ed to avoid that sort of thing because, you know, we're always replacing projectors. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, Ernie, just real quickly, um, how would one go about getting uh, a magic stash of money to, um, to, <laughs> to get a heads up? and? I mean, this this was some one-time funding. I don't know where it came from. I was just told it was available. 
so we spin it, and like I said, that has we've tried to stay ahead that way for most of these projects. Just out of curiosity, was it anywhere near the end of of President Clinton's tenure as as presidency, and maybe he shifted no. some magic no. money? No. Sometimes those it's questions. It's an Arkansas joke. Come on. Very nice. Very well done. All right. There are two really cool, famous people that are in uh, in the Sound and Communications this month. One is Dave Labuskus, the head of Infocom. The other one is this guy right here. His name is Mike Tomei. Uh, <laughs> See what I did there? You, <laughs> you. and Dave Lobuskis, baby. You and Dave always. That's We're always mentioning the same sentence. Well, you yeah. are. You are. You're both, you know. Um, yeah, I got nothing there. I, it was going to go down a <laughs> weird path, and I wasn't going to do it. Um, if you're watching the video, I'm hoping that this is on the screen now. Getting ahead in higher ed, pleasing AV support staff is key. So what's interesting here, <clears throat> first of all, Mike used to be AV support staff, right? He worked for, uh, yeah. for Harvard. Worked for Ithaca, not exactly uh, a yep. uh, chump change there when it comes to the world of higher ed. Um, <laughs> but what's interesting is, is, is as, as a consultant now, Mike's talking about serviceability and making sure you com communication. Um, so we're going to, this is going to be an interesting little five, ten minutes here, kids. Um, Mike, we're going to start with you and just talk about the article for a little bit. And then we're going to bring in the, the, the AV uh, support staff to give you their feedback on your article. Good. So... Uh, put your iron pants on, uh, you know, get ready for some, some honest feedback. But first, I mean, seriously, talk about, yeah. you know, as a consultant, as trying to make sure that these people, the, these AV professionals, have what they need. I mean, let's, let's be honest. God love them. And it's, it's, it's yeoman's work. It's, it's something that, that, you know, I've done and, and, and everybody on this call has done for, for years. You don't get a whole lot of respect or help from the, the, the uh, faculty. Uh, sometimes you have staff and, and people above you who don't understand what it is that you do. Sometimes. So, sometimes I said sometimes. I said sometimes. That's um, what I mean. You said sometimes. So, yes, sometimes. <laughs> um, that's why folks like integrators and consultants and other industry professionals are important because that's their support, right? That's where they get their yeah, you're doing a good job type thing. Uh, so, Mike, from your standpoint, how do we you know, how do we make sure that we're we're supporting these folks? Yeah, so um, I wrote this article uh, targeting integrators and consultants since um, those are the biggest readers of this publication. And uh, it's some tips I put together with um, for working in the higher ed market, keeping, like you said, keeping the AV support happy, uh, support staff happy. And um, a few months ago I saw uh, somebody on LinkedIn said that uh, every line in a, a bid specification is uh, an install that went wrong. And uh, every line in this article that I wrote uh, is a lesson that I learned from uh, working in higher ed uh, AV installs. Um, so I really kind of broke it down into a few different uh, bullet points there. Um, one of them is serviceability. Uh, I expressed the, um, the need for designing and installing uh, with future serviceability in mind uh, to keep the uh, AV support people happy. I've seen way too many projectors or uh, AV racks in locations that just are not easy to get to. And, um, you know, when you have a, a problem and you have to run into a room and troubleshoot and you cannot get to what you need to get to, it's uh, not a fun time. No. Um, standardization. Uh, I always harp on this one. Uh, um, um, Greg can talk about this based on his... Uh, blog way too many integrators and consultants dive headfirst into these um, uh, system designs or installations and don't pay any attention to any established uh, standards documentation that might exist at the school already and if the AV support staff isn't really involved right from the get-go with these projects then um, the consultants or integrators might get halfway through it and then all of a sudden realize they're designing a system that does not adhere to any standards that the school has already established um, project timeline, paying attention to uh, when, when an AV support person says to you the first day of classes is this day and the system has to be done and tested by this day. Uh, that's not like a, a fluid thing. You can't just say, <laughs> well, we, we didn't do it, so uh, that's the way it goes. Um, I've had that happen way too many times. At least give them warning um, that uh, you're approaching the end of your install and it's not going to happen. How soon, the first real, real quickly class. on that, how soon, like, do you want... A week's notice? Do you want two yeah. weeks' notice? Um, 
more than that. So uh, if the if you have to go to the registrar and say, yeah, you got to move a class. You have to move all the classes out of this room. It's just not going to be done, and it's going to be in no condition to be used um, for a few weeks. Um, the registrar, I mean, you could give them months' notice, and they're not going to be happy. But, um, you know, if you give them a few weeks' notice, uh, I, it's probably good enough for them to hopefully find something else. If it's something like uh, Ithaca College's campus where every class was totally filled all day, every day, then um, they just cannot find a place to put them. So it's just not a good situation in general. Uh, but the more notice, the better, for sure. And I've had way too many integrators that either don't realize that they're ending the end of the timeline and it's not going to happen, or they just don't want to tell us. Hmm. And um, and then we have to find out the hard what's happening. Um, another bullet point was uh, professionalism. Um, this kind of sounds really basic, but uh, image is everything with colleges. And um, I feel like a lot of integrators don't really stress professionalism with their install technicians when they're on campus. And I've seen uh, a few get kicked off of campus by project managers because they are not appropriate um, around uh, students or professors or anyone that's on campus. You know, you bring a, a tour group by and you have a bunch of really loud, obnoxious uh, uh, AV technicians in a room it's probably not a very good thing. So, um, so I've seen that happen a lot, um, and that kind of goes hand in hand with client interaction. Um, a lot of integrators, I always warn them, you know, professors will pop their head in while your install technicians are in the room doing their work, and those professors will ask for changes to be made on the fly to those designs, and uh, don't commit to anything, and. Uh, explain to uh, those technicians the chain of command and and who they should go to if uh, um, if they're approached because college professors can be really uh, let's say pushy sometimes no and uh, yeah <laughs> and uh, I've walked in to uh, test a system and been surprised and had a, a technician say well this instructor came in and they wanted us to to move the cameras over here so we just did it it's like wow okay not good so now we need to uh, redo all that work um, so that's I've seen that happen many times, um, and then my final point in the the article was closeout documentation. Um, I uh, AV support staff loves uh, really great as built drawings. Um, they always want the control system programming code uh, right after the install, uh, system uh, verification results, um, and uh, like we were talking about before, inventory info and IP tables and passwords and all of that, because um, they're probably going to have to troubleshoot that system uh, pretty soon after the start of classes. And without that information, you're, they're just flying blind. They, they probably weren't involved with the entire system design. And without those as-built drawings, they just don't know what uh, that system consists of. So those were the, the big points. And every single one of them I learned uh, the hard way on uh, installs in the past and figured uh, it might be a good time to make a list of them. Hope that uh, some people actually listen and adhere to them. All right. All right. We're going to get to them right now. Mr. Brown, we'll start with you. Uh, is, uh, is Mike on, on point with these, with these points? Oh, Mike is uh, perfectly on point, and and as soon Great. as we as as soon as we come up with the the comic book version of uh, of this article, I think you know some integrators might get something. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, you're saying there are pictures needed? Yeah. Uh, well, about the I think the biggest revelation was there in his opening statement where he talked about integrators being. A, able to read uh, oh, I don't think own. I quite said it like that um, well you, you implied it and I it was certainly <laughs> an epiphany to me because it's I, I certainly yeah. have not seen evidence uh, ba based on any of the work I've seen here recently I, I had uh, wow I, I had little or no faith in in integrators to begin with and and the most recent project I went through was was um, was a was a, a a stark dose of reality. You need better integrators in California, dude. Uh, yeah, apparently so. You know, when you, it's it's the warm weather, they just don't die off like they do in the in the cold. That is climates. true. You know, <laughs> they they continue to thrive and and reproduce. I guess you know, to, despite uh, to, despite uh, you know a lack of any evolutionary capability. Anyway, what was the question? I don't know. 
<laughs> no, it's it's a great article. It uh, I, I think it's funny that it the the line you mentioned there was actually off of a uh, uh, a picture I posted off of this project that I referenced that uh, this this last integrator did. Yes, you're right. It was filled with uh, with uh, incompetent uh, work of of all flavors. So uh, was that the one no, where, the, where the projector was hung in between the the fan blades? No, that was not mine. This this was the one where we used one of those um, one of those FSR uh, gearboxes, mm-hmm. ex- uh, external uh, surface mount buildings yeah. that go uh, go on the ceiling. Excellent external box, four rack unit, and so the integrator. I you know the, part of their scope of work was to provide cables. Well, unfortunately, they provided cables that don't let you put the cover on the damn thing once they put the cables on. <laughs> they they used like not to dis Extron, but they use like the heavy duty Extron cables, which have like a, you know, six or eight inch bend radius. And With the big thick you know, suckers? We, yes, oh. the big thick suckers. Yeah. And silly us, when we mocked it up, you know, we mocked it up with. I think I think Kramer's or something like that with much more conventional anybody's brand would work if they were much more conventional cables and you know there isn't a run longer than 20 feet in this room so it doesn't require exceptionally long cables and and they just put in you know these cables that it's like well how are you going to put the box on or the cover on it's like well um, I guess we could bend them down really hard <laughs> yeah that was that yeah. was kind of the suggestion that was kind of the suggestion <laughs> You know, I asked, why'd you use those cables? I said, well, that's what we stock. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, there's a great big jo- there's a great big job walk this week, and guess who's not on it? Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. All right, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Ernie, what are you, uh, any more advice for, for Mike or anybody else reading the article? Uh, I think it's a, a great article. Uh, you know, I agree with Mike. I can see all the different failures that we've seen here written into this, you know, how to avoid those. Uh, I think he's really hit the nail on the head here. Uh, Now, I will tell you, you talk about listening and communicating uh, with your client. I met an instructor from another health science uh, facility at a conference I went to a couple of months ago. and He said, I really wish we could do, and he gave me a list of things that, he can't seem to do in his classrooms and it's stuff that we do all the time it was you know connecting two classrooms together and how he wants them to work and he said you know i said we do that all the time he said i wish you'd come talk to our it people well when i got back here i had an invitation to go speak at that campus and i called let him know and he set up a meeting with me between me and the associate dean of his college, and their, uh, she's responsible for all the technology. She's very uh, technology savvy. Uh, and the two leading people in classroom technology support on their in their group. He was, the instructor was not there, but he arranged the meeting, and I went and I talked with them before I, uh, the day before my presentation. And I found out why they're not providing the support that he wants. They had no idea what he wanted to do. Hmm. So he goes, he tells somebody from another school that his people can't take care of him. But he he hadn't asked for the support yeah. in the classrooms. And they said, we can do all that stuff. Now, you know, we ended up making a very productive meeting out of it. I talked to them about some technology we're using and, uh, I'm going to be communicating back and forth with them, uh, letting them know what we've done and how they can bring that in. But, you know, if you're going to have a consultant come in, know what they're going to, you know, know what you're wanting to, to ask for and, you know, talk to your in-house people as well. Yes. Uh, and then everybody can come together uh, and, you know, you'll have a much more successful uh, teaching experience if you work with all the people. Yeah, absolutely. They, they, they don't know, they can't help you unless they know what, what you know, what you right. need. And that actually kind of yeah, goes both on a, a, Go ahead, Mike. I was going to say on a related note to what Ernie just said, uh, whenever I train end users on systems, I always tell them, uh, well, this is 
back when I was working in higher ed AV support, uh, I would always tell them, you know, the second something doesn't work for you, tell us. Nothing kills me more than going to talk to a professor and they say, oh, well, this, this hasn't worked for a year now. And uh, every time I come in here, the same thing is broken. Well, when, when did you report it? Uh, oh, I haven't. I just assumed it was always broken. It's like, ah, oh, boy, we, could, we probably could have fixed it in like 15 or 20 minutes, you know. Just tell us. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I could take that all the way back to 35 years ago when I started. I would be walking to the cafeteria, and an instructor would stop me in the hall. You know, one day last week I was in one of the classrooms on the ground floor of this building, and the projector lamp went out. Have you fixed that yet? <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> we put a help button on the wall in every classroom now, even the ones that don't have an interactive panel, you know, with displays back. If you just press that help button, you're going to get the technician within a minute or two in your room saying, what's the problem? How can I help? Yeah, that, that, That's all there is to it. We offer training to the faculty on how to do that. How to on, that. on how to push the help button? Yes. It, it's fairly uh -huh. new in the room, so they're not, uh, we make sure they know where it is and what's going to happen when they push it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, we don't teach them how to put their thumb on it, but we <laughs> tell them, you know, why that button is there and what happens when you push it, and it's going to get you a technician. In the how room. many of those? Hmm? I, I was going to say how many of those calls are? Uh, oh, the the room is too hot, and uh, do you have any bottled water? <laughs> That's always we'll a. Take care of that. I don't mind that. Yeah. Well, you know, our deal is we do everything we can to make the make the teaching experience and the learning experience successful. If yeah. they're not comfortable, we'll make the call to the uh, engineering office and get the temperature changed. If you need a bottle of water, we'll go get you one. I don't care. Yeah. I don't want to say that too loud. I don't advertise that part, but they, yeah, right. they call us if the temperature's not right or if you know there's water dripping out of the ceiling tiles, we'll get it taken care of. You know, yeah. if there's stains on the carpet, tell me. We'll make the call. We don't mind making the call and taking ownership of the problem, but we've got to know it exists. Yeah, and that right, and that right there is key, Ernie, is, is knowing the problem exists, and that's actually a really great attitude to have because there are some I, – I had, I had colleagues in the past that would take the opposite end of that attitude is, you know what, if, unless it's audio or video, it's not my problem, right? If, you're, if you have the blue screen of death, too bad. I'm not a computer guy, right? It's too cold in there sorry, here's the number to, and they would, you know, if they would do it, they would say, here's the number to facilities. Yeah. Now, if I hear my guys doing that, I stop them and say, no, you make the call, and then you follow up. That way, we get a work order number, you know, yeah. even on temperature being out or a lamp being out, you know, on the ceiling, where a student can't see to take their notes, we, we, we'll take care of that. Yeah. Greg, you were saying something, but you're muted there, sir. We see your lips moving. We see we see your lips moving, brother, but but we got nothing coming out. I just need to turn my microphone back on. <laughs> there, go go ahead, make the line about it being some of the most intelligent stuff I've said all day. It probably uh, was. I, I that, that's yeah. I think that was the joke last time mm -hmm. I did that. Is there an AV uh, guy available? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> of all the people having trouble with a microphone, um, the uh, you know we uh, we put in a ring down phone in all the rooms here and uh, now we have gotten to the point where we have somebody who literally most of their time is spent doing nothing but sort of uh, shepherding all of the calls for issues that aren't ours lights temperature broken seats things like that and uh, sending them to facilities and and also following up on facilities we, we had a huge issue where you know, the, the the trouble ticket gets given to the, the guys in the truck and they walk out to the classroom. It's like, oh, there's a broken chair. Oh, okay. I don't see one. Signs it off and goes home and moves on to the next ticket. And, um, you know, we, we really have worked very hard to put some accountability into that loop because there wasn't any. And, um, yeah, it's it's kind of a th – that is the world you will find yourself in if you if you end up having, you know, some sort of people can call for anything sort of method. But it is really something you have to provide. Yeah, yeah it is. All right. Well, on that note, gentlemen, uh, we're going to wrap up today. Uh, Mr. Greg Brown, that gentleman right there, is from UCLA. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank uh, you, Tim. And where can people find you or your ramblings and writings? Uh, actually, I'm. Uh, uh, um, Mike made a quick mention to it. I uh, am in the middle of a four-part blog over at uh, All Voices on uh, classroom standards for higher education. Very nice. Uh, episode three comes out, I think, this week sometime. All right, very cool, very cool. All right, Mr. Tomei, where can uh, where can people find you? Obviously, they can find your writings at Sound of Communications this month, but where else? Yeah, uh, my website is probably the best place. It's T-O-M-E-I-A-V.com or uh, LinkedIn. I'm on there pretty often. All right, very good. And last but not least, Mr. Ernie Bailey from UAMS. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn also. Yeah, you guys use the LinkedIn a lot more than I do, so... Uh, also, um, if you are interested and you are going to Infocom next month, uh, you can check this very program out live uh, and in person, 10 o'clock Eastern at booth 6667. Uh, booth 6667 will be doing this this episode or this episode this this show as well as a number of others. We'll be doing AV Week uh, between two and four on Friday. Uh, I know that George is doing a, a live uh, live live his staging and event show. So yeah, come by check it out. Uh, we have uh, we have lip balm uh, to, to give away to folks. We're also uh, going to be registering folks for a pre, uh, free uh, pair of Momentum headphones, uh, the wireless ones. Though, so we'll, we'll do that. So, uh, but go by the website if you would, uh, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. You will find this program and a host of others. There's an awful lot of uh, really great people that that help put this together and, and help make this happen. So, uh, check that out. Check out the other shows. We've got uh, a new State of Control coming up. We have, obviously, our weekly one. Uh, we've got a new uh, projector uh, uh, podcast coming up, a new lighting guy podcast. So all kinds of cool stuff. All of it's at the website, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. This has been EdTech.